Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk tonight about two lessons from the wilderness. The first lesson is that we need God and we will always need him. And the second lesson is that we need each other and we will always need each other. Well, this week's Torah portion and the reading begins with the counting of Israel. So I want to encourage you to turn to uh, Numbers chapter 1. And we're going to read a passage here. The instruction is to count Israel because everyone counts. And also, it's necessary to count on everyone. And in the wilderness, we learn that we need each other at every level. We're going to look at that. And we learn that we aren't independent. And especially we learn it's not just God and me. That sounds really good, you know, that God is everything. But God at creation said it's not good for man to be alone. Do you remember that? That's God's verdict. We need each other. We need other people. And the idea that you can live this life with only God is not a correct idea. And this is why Yeshua amplified his answer when he was asked what the greatest commandment is. And he said there are two great commandments. The greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. But there's another one that connects to it. And everything depends on these two connecting. The, all your reading of Torah and the law of the prophets uh, connects to this. And that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And the apostles many times um, try to teach those who are following Yeshua that their love for God is connected to their love for each other and that it's not really true, authentic faith to say you love God and then to not to show love to one another. We're called to love each other. We need each other. You can look around today and see people you need. You may not even know that you need some of these people. But we are called um, together, and we learn in the wilderness that we aren't independent. We learn that we're called to be together as a people, and that the life of faith is not to be lived alone, and in fact cannot be lived alone, and it can't be lived in detachment from other people. I liked what Brian Rose was praying today and what he said today during worship, you are not alone. God is with you, but you also are with people. And, and the people of God are very important. It's important to stay close to the people of God and to be together with the people of God. You can't just be off by yourself hiding in a cave, the cave of your own home, if you will, and say, well, I'm gonna study just by myself, or I'm gonna even listen to the podcast just by myself, or I'm going to listen to this or that just by yourself. If all of our lives are spent detached like that, it's not authentic, and we will uh, be malnourished, and our spirituality will not grow healthy. The apostles understood that, and they, they wrote, don't forsake assembling together. 
And they used a very specific word in the Greek. Don't forsake synagoguing. Don't forsake synagoguing together. Whatever else you might do, synagogue together. Gather together because we need each other. And with God, we also need God's people. So Numbers chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. David Stern says, in the Sinai desert, so that it's clear to us. In the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month of the second year after they had left the land of Egypt. So they've been gone now for, um, how long is it? Just, yeah, two years and... uh, You could read it, the second year means they finished one full year, and now they're two months into the second year. And he says this, take a census of the entire assembly of the people of Israel by clans and families and record the names of all the men 20 years old and over who are subject to military service in Israel. Now, before we go on to some other details, I want you to think about this. All of Israel's being called to face something. We have to get ready to be a military together in the future. Now, what does that tell you about the future? It's going to be, there's going to be war. There's going to be battles. Israel's being told this. It would be as if there were an announcement overnight that said, okay, everybody, all the guys 20 years and over, and maybe in in America now, and all the women 20 years and over, um, show up tomorrow for the draft. It's draft registration day. And we have to count everybody, see how many there are, and then we're going to start organizing our military. If that were to happen overnight, wouldn't you think, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on, something's ahead. Well, without panicking, there's a very simple message here, and that is Israel has to prepare for a future that includes battles and a future that includes wars. Now, when you came into the Messianic movement, you may have been laughing and giggling and been filled with gladness, but it doesn't take long to discover that in the Messianic movement and in the life of faith, there are battles and war, and there are spiritual battles. They're, They're not the natural battles. But we learn this lesson that there is spiritual warfare all the time. And if you ever want to um, avoid it, I can't tell you what you can do. Because there is spiritual warfare all the time. Be prepared. Well, back to the text Record the names of all the men, 20 years old and over, who are subject to military service in Israel. You and Aaron are to enumerate them company by company. Take with you from each tribe someone who is ahead of a clan, 
These are the men to take with you. And then there's a list by name of specific people who are to be involved in this uh, military census. The entire assembly of the people of Israel by clans and families. That's interesting. I want you to pay attention to the different levels of society, if you will, the, the strata, the, the, the count. You've got the entire assembly. You've got clans and families. You've got all men, 20 years and older. Company by company, it says. Tribe by tribe. Look at the heads of the clans. So pay attention to all of that. That exists already in the society and it's necessary for the society and its future. And then let's keep going. These, these were the ones called from the assembly, the chiefs of their father's clans and heads of thousands in Israel. And so Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name. And on the first day of the second month, they gathered the whole assembly to state their genealogies by families and clans and recorded the names of all those 20 years old and over as well as their total numbers. Moses counted them in the Sinai desert just as the Lord had ordered him. So again, let's, let's just pull out the words and the descriptors that are used to identify these different levels of the community. You've got the assembly, you've got the chiefs, uh, the father's clans, heads of thousands, the whole assembly. You have families, you have clans, you have names, you have uh, total numbers as well. And so you've got all these various levels and it's, it's interesting to pay attention because you see that the Lord is pointing out individuals, but also family members, but also tribes, which are like the, the larger family and also the whole community, the nation. And it shows us the value of one and the value of many. They both work together. Each individual is important. And all the people together in many different levels are also important. And so we see the value of the individual and the value of the community. And this is an important lesson for us to take because in modern America and in the West, there is such independence and there is such a thought that salvation and faith is really something that an individual does and the goal of it is that individual's eternal destiny all by themselves. But God, who is interested in individuals, is interested in families. And he's interested in, in tribes and clans, if you will. He's interested in communities. He's interested in individuals, in families, in groups of individuals and communities as well. And he forms a nation out of faithful communities, out of faithful tribes, out of faithful families, out of faithful individuals. It's important not just to break down uh, life into the individual level. That is important. But that's not the only measure. Our measure together is extremely important, a value together. The people gathered together is very important. The people um, together are able to defend themselves and their community. And think about that. That ability to defend 
is a condition necessary for any free nation to exist. A nation that cannot defend itself will not long be a nation. By name they're called. Everyone counts. Everyone counts. If you're sitting next to someone, smile at them and say, you count. You count. You count. You count. And you can make it even more personal. You count to me. You count to me. At the same time, smile at that person and say, I need to count on you. (laughs) I need to count on you. I do count on you. I count on you. We need each other. Now, we need each other. This is one of the lessons of the wilderness. We need each other. There's another lesson in the wilderness, and that is we need God all the time. Now, many people are comfortable with the idea of needing God some of the time. In fact, many people are comfortable with the idea of needing people some of the time, and God some of the time, and the rest of the time it's like, I got it. You know, I can do this by myself. I don't need you. I remember an aspiring leader once in Russia came to me, a messianic leader, and and said, do I really need to have friends? And I said, you need people. And he said, but people will hurt. I said, you still need them. And if you try not to need them, you'll still need them, and you'll be hurt even more. Don't think you can protect yourself by acting like you don't need people. And you know what his response was? (laughs) He walked away from that conversation unhappy. He wanted me to say, well, you know, you don't really... You don't need friends, you don't need people, you don't need anyone. You can do it all by yourself. As long as you don't get out of bed. (laughs) Now, you really can't do this by yourself. We need people. I need you. You need each other. We need each other. It's important to know that. It's important... Uh, to be able to say that, to be able to count on each other. I need your help. Uh, I need your love. I need your encouragement. I need your friendship. I need your time. I, I need to see you. I need to know uh, you're there. I need to hear your voice. I, I need to be with you. These are truths. They're real. And it's important to develop that in ourselves, to nurture it. One of the reasons Sandy and I get away each year around our anniversary is so that we really pay attention to the fact that we need each other. We are glad that we need each other. We depend on each other. And we uh, spend time together in order to nurture that. But we also spend time throughout the year uh, with our community, because we need you. We need each other. It's so important to know this and to be cheerful about it. In the same way that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, he loves a cheerful liver. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. (laughs) 
Someone who lives cheerfully and is glad they're living with people. <laughs> yeah, oh, my liver. I don't even know where the liver is right now. Yeah. Now, you know what I mean. To be glad to need people. It's important. In the wilderness, we recognize not only that we have a need for God, but we have a constant need for God. And sometimes people don't like the wilderness, they don't like the desert, whatever that may be. You know, in the real world, I wanna describe it in, in the spiritual world this way, that sometimes the wilderness and the desert manifest themselves like this. We just don't have enough. Um, it, it's too hard. We, we feel like um, we can't just do things the way we want to and hope to. We, we don't have enough and we're dependent. How many have been in a situation like that? Some personalities uh, are like mine. I hate to be dependent. How about you? But the fact is, I love to be dependent. I remember Rabbi Yuri and I were traveling together years ago, um, and I was having back problems at the time. And we, were, we went to uh, Chernovsky, if I remember right, and I couldn't even carry my own bag because of my back. And Rabbi Yuri, you know, was taking my bag. And I said, no. And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, but I hate it when I can't do this myself. And he said, but you can't do it yourself. And I hated being in that condition. Can anybody relate to that? I hated being in that condition, but I loved being in that condition. Because it exposed something. I need others. I needed Rabbi Yuri. I needed his love and his attention and his care. It, it's something I treasure. It's a treasured memory. And uh, I'm so grateful to have that memory. But I remember being in situations, having a medical procedure, and the doctor says, okay, you can't lift anything over 10 pounds for a month. It's like, are you kidding And the answer is, no, I'm not kidding. I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm a cardiologist. I don't want these things to break that we're trying to fix. <laughs> but in those times, we learn to count on other people. Now, we also learn to be counted on and to be dependable. I'm so glad we were staying in... Uh, on our vacation, we, we were staying in, uh, I think it was a fifth floor walk-up. Do you know what that is? Yeah. No elevator. And, and, and bags, suitcases. And having to carry all those up is good for me. And it's good for me because I can do it. And my back is not bad and my heart's not bad. And so I can check myself, you know, at a time like this. Sometimes I check my sanity level. What were you thinking? 
why, but it's, I have good reasons. Um, but I like to be dependable for my wife. I like to be able to do for her. Uh, and, and so now to be able to carry those things up, I'm happy for it. Even if I'm huffing and puffing, but I'm not complaining. It's like, I can do it. It's not bad. And I will do it. And so forth. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes when we come to God, we come to God when we're in need and we're in trouble. And we're praying about a specific need or a specific trouble. And when he answers us, it's such relief. Have you ever felt that relief that comes uh, when you're in great need and God answers you? It, it really is spectacular. But there are times when after he answers us and our need is not so obvious and not so great, we begin to wean ourselves from him. And there can be times when we don't even notice that we've stopped noticing how much we need him. And we're using our strengths in a good way, but in an independent way, unmindful of the Lord. The Haftorah portion speaks to this. This tendency to forget our need for God on one hand, and the fact that he's the source of everything we have. So it's Hosea chapter 2, verse 10 in English, verse 8 in Hebrew, and speaking about Israel, the Lord says, she doesn't know it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, I who increased her silver and gold. It, it, it was I who did it. I was the source. We may forget this. We may not recognize it. It's a lesson for all of us. In the wilderness of this world, we are to learn this lesson this lesson, that every good thing that we have is a blessing from the Lord. And to be able to thank the Lord for everything that he gives us. From the small things like grain to the more valuable things like silver and gold. But all those things, the oil, the wine. Now the Lord speaks to Israel through Hosea and says, you haven't been faithful to me. You haven't recognized how much you need me. And you haven't recognized that I've been the source of provision for you and you built a life independent of me. But you're not independent of me. I'm going to do what's necessary to bring you back because I'm faithful. And the promise of God that he makes later in the chapter is a revelation of the faithfulness of God. And it connects to last week's message that the love of God sustains us and is the actual origin of our ability to love. We don't merit his love. He loves us, and that's a reflection of his goodness. And he remains faithful to us despite our faithlessness and independence. So this 
faithfulness of God and his promise to be faithful is reflected in uh, verses 21 and 22 in English. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in grace, and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. You will have intimacy. You will have a personal relationship. God could have said, you know, you've embittered me. You've not treated me right. You've hurt my feelings. You've neglected me and ignored me. And so when we get back together, you know, don't think everything's going to be okay. You've got a lot of territory to cover. You've got a lot of stuff to fix. The Lord says, I'm going to fix a lot of stuff because I'm faithful. I'm going to fix a lot of stuff that you can't fix at your initiative. But I'm going to do it with righteousness and justice, with grace and compassion and in faithfulness because I am married to you. It is a beautiful description of the love of God for us. So in the wilderness, we learn that we need God and and we need each other. In the wilderness, uh, we find ourselves in constant need. And this is where we experience a continual dependence on the Lord. It's where we learn that we're not self-sufficient. We learn that we are sufficient in God. We learn that we are dependent on God. We experience one need after another. Have you ever had a need met and you think, okay, I'm glad that's over with. And then a new need arises. How many have had that kind of experience? You can relate to this. Well, that's the Lord at work because he wants us to recognize we still need him. Now, it's not good that our needs arise just because we're incompetent or undisciplined or untrained. Um, our need for God is experienced even when we are competent, even when we are trained, even when we are disciplined. And you may find that even when you have highly developed skills and abilities, talents and experiences, and you know how to do things, you still can't succeed without God's help and his direction. One of the most important lessons of the wilderness is that we're always in need of God. Always. Now this chapter of, first chapter of Numbers begins with that military census. And it's a prelude to something that that Israel will learn that applies to military conflict and to times of war and battle. That Israel has to seek the Lord whenever it's facing conflict. And has to, it's like there are three rules I would identify that become clear for Israel. Uh, First rule is when it comes to conflict and battle, seek the Lord. First of all, seek the Lord. That's the first rule. The second rule is keep seeking him until you receive his direction. So don't just offer up some perfunctory prayer, but say to the Lord, I need to know 
what you see and what you have in mind. And then the third rule, and this is as important, you can't do the first two without the third, follow the direction he gives. There were times, famously we'll read in Torah, where the Lord gives direction, which is don't go up into battle. And Israel says, yeah, we're ready. We can fight. We are ready. And the word is, don't go up. And they go up anyway, and what happens? They lose. And then they come back, and they're all, you know, like humble. Like, wow, that didn't go well. Okay, well, we're going to seek the Lord now. Not necessarily. You see, the key is, first you seek the Lord, second you receive direction, third you follow the direction. I had a difficult situation recently. It really affected me emotionally and it occupied my mind. And uh, I decided I need to not just have compulsive thoughts. Does that ever happen to you? when you're facing a problem. You can't stop thinking about this and that and who's doing this and who's doing that. It didn't involve any of you. But during that time, I thought I should seek the Lord. And so I started praying. And as I was praying, I said, Lord, I need to know what to do because I have a mind to do certain things. And the Lord his first response was, shh, like quiet down, which was not the direction I wanted. But I got that direction. So I received it and I said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be quiet until you tell me what to do next. And it took a few days for me to hear. And he just said, don't talk to anybody about it. Don't say anything. Be quiet. And there's a part of me that does not like that kind of direction. I would rather get in, talk about what we got to do to fix this. Um, but I felt like the Lord was saying, don't do anything and don't tell anybody. And so I didn't. I, I still haven't told anybody the details. You're getting uh, like a sanitized version. Well, recently, I got a victory through it. I got a call from someone who, who solved the problem that I was all concerned about. I didn't call them, they called me. And then I got another message from another person who was involved in solving it. And it just touched my heart in many ways. One is, they did care. Okay, that mattered. But the second part was, Lord, I'm glad I kept my mouth shut. Because he told me to. And I wonder what might have happened if I didn't do that. Have you ever gotten advice, and you know it's from the Lord, but in your soul it's not pleasant? 
I'm the only one who ever has this happen to me. Poor me. Not really. I think this happens to all of us, that there are times when what we want to hear from the Lord is not what we get. And there are times when what we want to hear from people is not what we get, but it's what we actually need. It doesn't mean it's pleasant, it just means it's good. So we have to know people's hearts and their intentions. And thus, with God, if God gives you direction and you already know what to do, but you're shopping for another opinion, you can find one. But I can tell you the wilderness can, can go on for 40 years if necessary. Right? Or longer, if necessary. For generations, if necessary. So that we learn we need God all the time. We need Him. We need Him. And thus the Shema, listen. Shema, Yisrael, listen. And the listen word, Shema, means don't just hear it but put it into action. Do it. Sometimes the Lord would tell Israel, engage in battle this way. Sometimes he would say, avoid the fight at all costs. Other times he would say, there's going to be a battle, but I'm going to fight. So you just worship. And other times, there's going to be a battle, you're going to fight, but he's got to pray. If he doesn't pray with his hands lifted up, remember Moses? You won't win. Each time Israel had to discover again her dependence on God. And they could not say, well, we know how to do this. No. We may know how to do it. That's competency. That's experience. But that doesn't mean that's what we're supposed to do this time. We need wisdom from God. We need to seek the Lord. Lord, how do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to handle this difficult situation? How do you want me to handle this good situation? What do you want from me? We need God. We need his instruction. And that's why also we need his word. We, and we get his word in two ways. One is through the scriptures which reveals to us the record of how other people have engaged with God and God with them. And we learn from that because the scriptures reveal the righteousness of God and the scriptures equip us and they, they are breathed by God and, and they're so useful. That's one way that we need God. And another way that we need him is that we need him. We need his Holy Spirit in us. We need God inside of us, not just outside. And he wants to live within us. And that connects to the very time that we're in as we're preparing for the coming of Shavuot tomorrow night. <clears throat> because Shavuot celebrates the giving of the Torah, and it also celebrates the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the two, it's important to understand, are connected to each other. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are connected. And if you try to live by the Spirit without any regard for the Scriptures, it won't go well. 
And if you try to live by the scriptures without the Holy Spirit, (coughs) that also won't go well. We need the Spirit of God, and we need the scriptures. We need them both. And Shavuot is a reminder of what Yeshua has done for us. Not only has he redeemed us, but he returned to heaven. He returned to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit. And the sending of the Holy Spirit was an an answer, if you will, to Moses' prayer when he said, would that the Spirit of God is upon all of God's people. And it's also um, the fulfillment of what Joel had prophesied, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and blood. So the, the Holy Spirit being given is not incidental, nor is it accidental. The Spirit was given on Shavuot intentionally as the complement and the completion of what was done by giving the Torah, by giving the Scriptures on Shavuot. It's important to see that connection. And for us who are Messianic, it's important for us to remember that the outpouring of the Spirit is the work of the resurrected and the ascended Messiah. Resurrected, he rose from the dead. Ascended, he returned to heaven. It's important to remember this and to remember also that the scriptures are breathed by God and that they're useful, that they're important. And so I want to close with a word about the scriptures that have to do with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15 and 16. And he said, from the time of your infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. That's interesting because that would mean you've known the Tanakh, Torah, Nevaim, Ketavim, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Because the writings of the apostles had not yet been given at the time of Timothy's infancy. Is that correct? From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. And then look at this. All Scripture, which we could say all of the Tanakh, all of what Christians might call the Old Testament, is spirit-filled, is God-breathed, and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that, The man of God, the woman of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. You see, in Paul's mind, it wasn't the Holy Spirit over here and the scriptures over here. Shavuot is the the unification, the uniting of the inspired, God-breathed, spirit-filled scriptures with the person of the Holy Spirit coming inside of us so that the Word of God would be engraved on our hearts and our minds and not simply external rules, regulations, history, or knowledge. Shavuot is an integration of these two very important things. You need the Holy Spirit, and you need the Scriptures. Continually. We always need the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, come on Saturday night for a special celebration and Shavuot and join together with us and come and join together with the people of God in this community so that 
you can strengthen not just your fellowship with God, but your fellowship with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the giving of your spirit. We thank you for the incomparable word of God. We thank you for the people of God. We need you. We need each other. And we're glad for that. Let it be, Lord, in our lifetime, in these days, that we learn how much we need you and how much we need each other. And let us count on you and be faithful to you so you can count on us. And let us count on each other and be faithful to each other so that others can count on us too. And we ask that in this way, the purposes, the great purposes of Shavuot could be accomplished. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget, come tomorrow. Join us for the bar mitzvah with uh, Jamie Parrish. Adult bar mitzvah being called up to Torah. It's going to be a great, great time together. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.